Welcome to the ECT podcast series, engaging with the researchers working on the long-term field experiments in ECT's national network. Welcome to the long-term ecological field experiment at Thursley Common in Surrey, which is now being repurposed by a new research team led by Jill Cowell from the Royal Botanic Gardens at Kew. Jill joins me here at the site today. A very good afternoon to you, Jill. And good afternoon to you, Ben. Thank you very much for being here. You're very welcome. Can you, first of all, just give us a real sense of how special and rare this habitat here is at Thursley Common? Well, um, first of all, Thursley represents one of the most important lowland heathlands in all of England. And, And lowland heathlands in general are quite rare. So England hosts about 70% of all heathlands Europe-wide. And it's a habitat, really, uh, you could probably hear from my accent, I, I come from other lands, and it's, it's a habitat not known to folks in North America. It's a habitat created by humans. It's a, what's known as a plagioclimactic community. So if it's not managed by us humans, it will develop into a woodland habitat. And it's, it's very precious because uh, particularly we're standing here now in dry heath. And at Thursley, we have all of Britain's reptiles. We have rare birds. The Darford warbler is, was just heard. And we have the cuckoo in the background, which you may hear today. And amazing habitat for insects uh, alike. But of course, we're focusing today on the vegetation and the mycorrhizal community, which we'll get more to. And, and Thursley is an amazing place to study this because it has been managed by Natural England as a heathland now for many years. And it is true representation of lowland heathland, which is defined by its vegetation, i.e. heathers. So part of the heathland is a triple SI, a site of special scientific interest. And it's also a Ramsar site, the wetland portion, and that where we're standing right now. So um, Thursley has a long history of being recognized as an important conservation site for all of the wildlife I've mentioned. And it also serves as an important reservoir for the community, the local communities, because of its stretches of open land. And then below ground, there's a carbon sink. It's not very far from London and other smaller cities. And these pockets are absolutely precious for us to enjoy our ecosystem services, which are often overlooked uh, when we're in towns. So Thursley gives you the opportunity to escape these cities for us humans as well. And those are many reasons why this site was chosen for a long-term field experiment. Can you give us a bit of the history and background to the earlier research that's been done here by Sally Power and others? Yeah, so um, Sally Powers and... Georgina Southern. Georgina Southern, thank you. Emma Green, I've, I've spoken with the latter two... Um, and many, many others over the years, uh, since 1998, I believe, have been engaged with this site. And they're 
the specific scope has shifted over time as different science questions were asked. But to begin with, it was explored for management styles on the heathland, um, mowing or not mowing, fire or not fire. So these are management questions that are often asked by professionals on how to manage heathlands. And then in 2006, they began nitrogen treatment experiments because there was such a rise in nitrogen deposition across the country and these were of major concern both policymakers and citizens so scientists began to focus on this and there were eight blocks with plots and subplots so this is a way we we set up these experiments so that we have many replicates um, that were set up across this section of heathland and, and they went on to introduce with backpack sprayers 30 kilograms per hectare of nitrogen onto the plots. And then they carried on measuring the biomass and also the impact on the soil for many years. It went on until about 2011. I think the last treatment was in 2011, so 10 years ago. And is it possible for you to just briefly summarise the main impacts from that early research? Sure. Well, first of all, the overall biomass of the heather, which is the dominant plant here, was consistently and significantly greater. I forgot to mention there was a fire that happened in between Sally's experiments in 2006. Or the everything was wiped out um, but with this fire came along an opportunity to add another element to the experiments real world fire this was not experimental fire so they jumped on that and incorporated that into their experiments and so going back to the findings after the fire they carried on with the nitrogen treatments and they found that the addition of nitrogen expedited the regrowth of the plots that were treated and the biomass was greater and they also noticed a significant correlation of the decline in uh, lichen development and the bryophyte diversity where the nitrogen was applied. Some of the early pioneers were pioneer bryophytes and these are really just mosses we're talking about here. Um, there's one liverwort we found so they were looking at mostly mosses and the diversity was not as great, but the early pioneering species did show themselves to be greater in the treated plots. There were impacts on the bud burst where treatment was applied, the bud bursts were delayed. And so they focused mainly on above ground vegetation they did look at the soil they found the carbon stocks and the nitrogen stocks were affected the nitrogen stocks were not surprisingly greater where the nitrogen was treated and this had impact on the microbial dynamics some of the experiments or measures they use for that are very different today and in policy terms sally's work had mm -hmm. applications in understanding of nitrogen critical loads did it not absolutely and i think that's the long-lasting effect of her work they published over 10 papers from this work on nitrogen and partly because of sally's work here on lowland heathlands we know how important 
it is to understand this with respect to critical loads. But what they didn't measure, and I, I guess it's a good segue into what we're bringing to this repurposing of the experiment, what they, what they didn't measure were the mycorrhizal communities. And partly because people weren't thinking about that at that time. And for those who are listening who don't know what are the mycorrhizal communities, so mycorrhiza are fungal roots, and these are um, beneficial fungi that are integral to the ecosystem services of not just heathlands, but all habitats. And these mycorrhizal fungi provide plants with nutrients in exchange, well, provide plants with nitrogen and phosphorus in exchange for carbon or photosynthate sugars. And so understanding the mycorrhizal community is absolutely key to furthering our knowledge about carbon storage in heathland habitats, which have very low turnover from a carbon perspective and therefore very important as we are more and more thinking about the landscape equations. Which landscapes are we preserving, conserving, nurturing, and which landscapes are perhaps uh, less critical. And our research into heathland habitats and here at Thursley will help us understand and, and, and get a baseline understanding of what is going on here now. And we want to link this with Sally's research by seeing, I mean, the biggest question we're asking is, is there still 10 years later, 2021, last treatment 2011, 10 years later, is there still a treatment effect going on below ground? Um, we are also repeating the measures that Sally did above ground in terms of vegetation density, composition, diversity. We have a, a specialist lichenologist as part of the team, Raquel Pino from Q also studying this, and specialist biologists from the Natural History Museum are here, Sylvia Pressel and Jeff Duckett. And, and we're looking at uh, the above-ground community, but crucially, is there an impact in the mycorrhizal community? And of course, we're looking at the soil chemistry and how this complements the mycorrhizal community. Um, but that's the novelty today. And that brings us right up to date because we're very excited here at ECT about contributing to your work with one of our small grants and also alongside co-funding from Natural England and Q and the Joint Nature Conservation Committee uh, as well. There's quite a lot you would like to do here, Jill, and some of that may require external collaboration. Are you open to bringing in wider collaborators beyond your existing partners at Natural History Museum and Queen Mary University London? We're more than open. If you're listening, yes, please. We're very grateful for this small grant from ECT, but it's just the beginning. And, and we have big questions to ask here, and there's a great site to develop further. And so if you are listening, whether you're from Natural England or from NERC or wherever, we, we would love you to listen more closely to what this research finds. That's fantastic. And finally, a big question on what your take is on the wider value of long-term experimental field ecology more broadly, not just for the plots here at Thursley. Well, we spoke about this a little bit earlier, Ben. I, I think long-term experiments are absolutely crucial for us to gain an understanding of the world around us. We're wondering more and more today about how we 
are going to live and engage in this world. And if we're not measuring and asking questions in a continuous spectrum, then we will not be able to answer these questions, inform policymakers, and um, and how we live. And so couldn't be more important, I think, alongside monitoring. And I, I do think a lot of monitoring exercises can be turned into experiments as well. So I think those need to be complementary. There's a major challenge, though, and, and the challenge is that the staffing resources that institutions like Kew and the Natural History Museum have to bear on these questions and these long-term experiments are frustrated by having short-term contracts. And unless we get away from that, we lose the continuity on the site that would really give us the most leverage on these experiments. So a research assistant stops after two years, you have to find another one, train them up, etc. It's easy to see why this would be a challenge, but I mention it because I think it's something that we all really need to explore in the science and ecological community because we can't get on with this great work if we keep on having these short-term contracts. You mentioned continuity, which of course is our middle name, so we hope to help with that where we can, not just at Thursley, but nationally as well. Thank you very much, Jill, for hosting ECT here at Thursday Common today. Thank you for coming. We're really grateful.